Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. This week's Classic Masters features award-winning Subway franchisee and development agent Raghu Marwaha. A true American success story, Raghu and his brother started working in a Subway store owned by a family friend. Seeing great potential in the company's business model, the teenage brothers convinced their parents to buy a Subway franchise before they headed to college and entered the corporate world. On a path to success in their chosen fields, they soon realized that they wanted more control over their destinies. They returned to their parents' Subway franchise and focused on growing their business. At the time of this interview, Raghu and his brother owned more than 100 Subway franchises and oversaw 400 Subway restaurants as development agents in Southern California. Listen in as Raghu reveals the source of their success then visit mastersbywinclayabaugh.com to sign up for our mailing list. And remember, Masters podcasts are also available on your favorite podcast platforms. Enjoy this Masters Classic interview. Hi, everybody. Win Claybaugh here. Welcome to this wonderful issue of Masters, and I'm always excited when I have the opportunity to interview people like this wonderful man that I'm going to interview right now, because he does not come from the beauty industry, and uh, I've been doing Masters now for 15 years, and in 15 years, I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of people who are outside the beauty industry, and I know that a lot of the audience who listens to these are from outside the beauty industry. I've interviewed the president of Outback Steakhouse, the president of Southwest Airlines, uh, Willie Jordan, who is the only female uh, director of a Skid Row type mission in the United States. Uh, so a lot of people were outside the beauty industry, and so I'm excited to be here. First of all, I'll say his name here and introduce him, and then we'll kind of jump into who he is. I'm sitting here with Raghu Marwaha. Raghu, welcome to Masters. Thanks very much, Wynn. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. And the industry that you're from is uh, Subway Sandwiches. Yes, the industry is restaurant business, and specifically in the restaurant business, I'm with Subway Sandwiches. You're right. right. But you also have a, a lot of experience in the franchise world, which I think is great, great information for our listeners here. And you're also in a family business, so there's a lot of lessons in that that we can pull from this. And so we're going to be all over the map here. I have a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about. Oh, looking forward to it. You know, my job is I play different roles on a daily basis and I enjoy every one of them. And that's right. It, it makes life very interesting when it's a family business and you're doing different parts in, within the business. And you really don't have a job title, uh, although some days I wish I do. And it's just really a fun thing. How old are you? I am 33 years old. 33. And, and how long have you been in this business? I've been in this business since I was 16 years old. Okay. And there's, so that, a, there's a great story that you're, I'm going to have you share with our listeners. I'm going to give uh, our listeners a bit more information about who you are. You know, by the way, when you arrived here at my office and Madison welcomed you and then she came back, she said, oh my God, he's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Hey, it's a, so maybe maybe Masters should be video today so people could uh, you know get that good message too. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read this. In 1994, $5 footlongs were not on the menu, but Subway founder Fred DeLuca, with 10,000 locations, had far surpassed his original goal of 5,000 stores and was still adding more. So today, 
Raghu and his brother Rohit Marwaha own 200 plus. How many do you own? We own 125 locations ourselves and we oversee 400 plus locations. Oh, well, I said 200, so I was just telling the truth in advance. I'm <laughs> sure you're going to hit that mark at some point, right? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, okay. And you oversee how many? About 410 stores now. Wow, okay. Yeah. You're development agents in Southern California, and besides, the brothers take an active part in several boards within the subway system. When we asked the brothers about recognition and what they are most proud of, they responded by modestly explaining that just one year into their new but very significant role of selling and supporting subway franchises in Southern California, they won the 2001 Franchisee of the Year Award in Los Angeles. And in 2005, you and your brother won the Development Agent of the Year Award for all of North America. So these accolades are just two of about 25, which the brothers have earned in the system, in addition to earning the respect of Subway Associates, who consider the Marwaha as a huge component of the franchise growth in the last 10 years. So tell us your story. Of, of you, you said you started at 16. Yeah, it was uh, something that a family member did a favor for us. I was uh, 16, my brother was 15, uh, I think I was in 11th grade, and he was in uh, ninth at the time, and... Uh, we both needed something to do on the weekend. Uh, my parents were encouraging us to get a job, and they said, yeah, guys, you know, do something in the weekend before you get in trouble. So we went up to our cousin, and we said, hey, he owned a Subway store at the time, and we said, hey, would you hire us? He said, uh, okay, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd like to make sandwiches, clean up, and close the store if you can on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, so maybe 15 hours each. So okay, come on by tomorrow. And we went in, and he was very kind and gave us the jobs. Uh, that was our entry into the Subway system. Uh, and uh, we worked in that store for about a year, and our family was looking into purchasing a Subway restaurant in 1995. And my brother and I had seen how Subway was for about a year's time. My parents had seen it, and we finally convinced each other that Subway franchise was a good investment for our family. So 1995, we convinced our parents to buy the first Subway store of the family. Uh, by the way, it's myself, my brother, and my sister, who is also part of our business. Uh, she plays more of a back-end role, and uh, my brother and I are more active. What's your operation. sister's name? You better put her on here before <laughs> she backhands you for uh, deleting her from the story here. Our name is Rinku Marwaha Sodi. Uh, she's actually a CPA. Anyway, so we, uh, we, in 1995, we got the first store, and we started uh, working in it, and I tell you what, our sales went down. We were in a, at a time when things weren't going so well, and we had a low-volume subway store. We weren't making any money, and the only way we could keep the place open if the whole family worked in it. So my father would open the store. My mother and father would work the lunch. Family is cheap labor. Yeah, that's saying? right. Oh, yeah, right. Or, or zero labor. Right, exactly. Uh, and uh, we'd work in that store from morning till night. Of course, my brother and I were going to school, and uh, we'd come back after school and close the store. So we worked countless hours with uh, absolutely zero reward at the time because we weren't getting anything financially. And did you buy an existing location? Yes, we did. We, okay. did. we did buy an existing location. But it was doing well when you bought it, and then it went down when you took over? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, okay. uh, it was doing okay because we didn't have that much money to invest at the time. So we bought a lower volume store and when we bought it uh, it was just bad timing we were across the street from a big aerospace business that went out the next day we bought it with 15,000 employees so uh, talk about luck Uh, so clearly we thought we were just going to lose everything we had anyways we a year into it another subway store comes up for sale about a mile down 
And my father's been a great businessman all of his life, and I have to credit him for everything that we have today because really he's the one who taught us, and we wouldn't have known what to do if it wasn't his vision. Uh, and uh, we bought a second subway store down the street uh, with a lot of loan, something that you should not do, and we encourage people today not to do. So uh, just please don't take this as an advice to go buy things at high loan to values. Anyways, we bought the second store, and at that time we went to college. And a year after, we bought the third store. Now, we had three stores in 1996, and uh, we said... My brother and I started going to school, and he started going to engineering school, learning how to do write software, uh, and I was learning international business and marketing management, and both of us re- thought that maybe you know we were going to do something in that field, and we went to college, and throughout college, we s- continued to work at Subway, and I can't tell you how many friends of ours were laughing at us. In 1998-99, when most people in college were getting picked up by Silicon Valley firms, uh, Provide, giving them stock options and all sorts of perks and the job. My brother and I were working $6.75 an hour job. Uh, we became joke of the our friend's circle, and they would often laugh at us and say, what are you guys wasting your time working at Subway? Do you even need to go to college for that? Uh, we didn't really get bothered uh, by any of that, and uh, we continued doing what we were doing. And uh, we came out of college. I came out in 1999. Uh, Rohit came out in 2001, and as soon as we came out, both of us landed some really good jobs. Anyways, uh, at the time, family had three Subway stores, and we realized that, uh, you know, we needed to do something outside of Subway because we weren't really gaining, uh, financially, we weren't doing very well, uh, even with three stores. And uh, we went to work for corporate, and I have to say that I did learn a lot because it taught us how businesses are run in America, large corporations, organizations, management of people, uh, employees or customers or just the overall business. And I did that for about two years. Uh, my brother did the, uh, his job for about a year. We were making very good money. We were traveling. We were having a great time. We had enough money to do anything that we wanted to do at that time. And life was perfect. And all of a sudden, two years into it, uh, I got called in for a review. And as I walk in, uh, my boss had asked me to come in uh, 6.30 that morning. I was in business sales, uh, working in Irvine, California. And uh, my boss uh, uh, personally was uh, very fond of how I did my work. And then I was a pretty good employee at the time. I wouldn't call myself the best one, but I was a decent one. Not, enough not to get fired. So I wasn't getting called in for getting fired. Just a little head, heads up here. I walk in and she sits me down and she says, Raghu, you've done a marvelous job over the last year. You've met all your goals. We're happy with it. I was talking to the vice president of the company, and we would like to give you a raise. I didn't talk. I let her finish up, and she said, we're going to give you a $5,000 raise. At the time, I was making $60,000 a year. I, I, I have no problem disclosing that. And I said, well, this is the first time ever after college I am being appreciated, and I feel like I've accomplished something. And $6,000, I started imagining more than money. It felt good because somebody was appreciating me. And $6,000 to me was, oh, I can do quite a few things. Maybe I get a new car, move into a better place, or some, do something with it. The meeting lasted about 25 minutes, and uh, I walked out. I called my father. I said, you're, you're not going to believe this. I just got a raise. I'm so happy about it. And my boss told me to take the rest of the day off. You know, I, I'm going to go play golf, go meet my friends. Have a good time for the rest of the day. He goes, oh, congratulations, son. I'm really happy for you. You're going the right way. And I just hung, he hung up the phone. And uh, 
I sat in my car, and I saw a feeling of excitement quickly fading. As I thought more and more about it that morning, what had occurred in my boss's office, I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be able to meet my goals. I wasn't going to be able to go to places that I needed to go in my life. And although I was liking what I was doing, it wasn't pleasing me internally. I wasn't very happy at the time in the sense that I was getting up every morning and running to work. And it wasn't so much about $6,000 raise. And sure, you know, that was very, I was very appreciative of that. And I could have done a lot of things with it. But more so than anything else, I just didn't feel like I belonged there. And I was being told that I was doing a good job. Talk about passion. So I walk out and I, that day became miserable as it went on. <laughs> By 4 p.m. that afternoon, I was really depressed. Now, this is probably what doesn't happen to a lot of people if they love what they do and they get the rewards for it. So clearly there's something going on in my head that wasn't right. That night I went home and had dinner with my family and my father says to me, why do you look so unhappy? I say, I don't think I'm happy doing what I'm doing. He said, well, you just got a good race. You were appreciative this morning. What else do you want in life? I said, Dad, I don't get up every morning and I can't wait to get to work. And usually by 3 p.m. I'm looking at the clock and I'm saying to myself, when will 5 p.m. come? Saying, go home and do the things I love. I thought and thought about it that night. Next morning I went to work and guess what happens? I turned in my resignation. Oh my gosh. And my boss started, my boss, a very kind woman at the time, she actually was teary-eyed. She said, what happened? Did we not give you enough money? I said, look, I am very appreciative of all the money that company offered me. As a matter of fact, I see myself getting paid more than average employee here. Thank you very much. But I just don't see myself doing this the rest of my life. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go back to Subway. <laughs> she started laughing. I said, you got to be kidding me. And she said, how much are you going to get paid at Subway? I said, well, we have a manager who gets paid about $28,000 a year. So I'm sure I can take his place right now. And uh, then I'll see what I can do. And I tell you, it became a laughing matter for a lot of people, including some of our family members, some of our friends, and uh, we were being doubted for what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I went home that day, and next morning I put a subway hat, a subway apron, a subway shirt, the same shirt I was in when I was in 11th grade, and I went to work. And everybody in the world thought it was the craziest thing to do. And I was enjoying what I was doing that day. I worked, and I must have served about 150 customers with a happy face. And I came home that day, and I loved it. Mm. And that day I realized this is where I belonged. Mm. This is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Mm. I didn't know what, I, what was going to happen with it. I didn't know the financial rewards of it. I just knew this was intrinsically satisfying and this was going to be what I was going to do. I wonder how many people, you know, discover that. You know, we're fortunate in the beauty industry because a lot of people choose this industry out of joy. You know, it, it wasn't by default. It wasn't like, oh, I have to go do that job. They chose the industry even though they had friends and family members say, no, you're not going to be a hairdresser. No, you're not entering that industry. But it was their heart. It was their passion. And so they pursued it. But... I get worried about how many people in America hate their lives from nine to five. You know, that, that whole TGIF thing? Yep. You know, that was invented by people who 
are not like you and I. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have been TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. Exactly. Yeah, we get to go back to work and do what we love. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Wynn. And, and I think that most people settle. And if you think that you have found what you're doing and if you found it easily and you didn't question it and you didn't fail in it first, and if you got the rewards, big rewards the first day, you're usually at a wrong place. Because to get to the right place, you have to go through a process of zeroing in on what you love and what you have passion for. And as you write things off and as you knock things down off the list, you eventually get to a place and you, you don't usually think that's the thing you want to do. Most people who have done what they do very well successfully did not go there the first day. There's always a process. So if you get somewhere the first day and it's extremely rewarding and you're extremely happy with it, you probably are at the wrong place. Hmm. Uh, So at, at least that's what I think. And the second thing is passion. You have to love what you do. If you make your work like watching a basketball game or a football game that you pay $150 to get the front row seats and you can't wait to go there... It's going to be a lot of fun. And if it's going to be a lot of fun, you're going to make a lot of money. And if you make a lot of money, you're going to get all the things that you desire in life. It is not about money. I don't look at my bank account every morning when I wake up. I look at my people, I look at the things that matter to my people, and I fix those and I go after the business like it needs to be. And to be honest, if you take a look at the biggest most wealthiest people in the world, these are the people who are not necessarily chasing money. They're chasing their talent. They're chasing their passion. So obviously that very next day working at Subway, you did not regret the decision you had made the day before? I absolutely did not. Not even once I had questions. As a matter of fact, I went to work and it was quite laborious and it was uh, it was very tiring. I couldn't even go to the gym that day because I was so tired. And uh, I came home and I slept like a baby for probably eight hours because I'd get up the next morning at 5.30 go open the store again. Uh, but I tell you what, that's dead and my brother was uh, kind of going through the same process. A year later, he does the same exact thing. Really? It's funny how he went through the same exact process and both of us put together a business plan and my father helped us through it, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We put some goals in front of us for the next two, five, and ten years, hmm. and we just went at it. From 2001, here I am in front of you, 2012, we went from one store, uh, I'm sorry, f- four stores to five stores to 15 stores to 20 stores to 25 stores. And I don't even know how, where the time went after that. Hmm. We got selected by Subway to become development agents who are the area developers, uh, so we oversee uh, not only just our own business, but we also oversee other franchises. So we pretty much play Subway corporate here. And it's been a lot of fun, win, And we enjoy every minute of the day. And we probably uh, work a lot more than other people. But remember I said, if you make your work fun, then you're just having fun all the time instead of working. So you mentioned taking your business uh, from a mom and pop type business into what you call expertise in operational systems and technology. I mean, talk about that because, I mean, you can still have one location 
but it doesn't have to be run as a mom and pop type business. First of all, what's your definition of a mom and pop type business? Mom and pop type business is where you come up with your own ways of doing things, uh, ignoring the general standards that are out there. So for instance, a mom and pop restaurant on the street may not be following the health code or the proper procedures that you're supposed to follow. Hey, this is how you treat the food. This is how you treat the customers. There's a uniform way of going about running this business. And people take shortcuts and it's more about you it's more so than about them and that's a a problem that a lot of the small businesses face today even if you have one location people think that to run it like a corporation you have to have multiple locations that is not accurate you just have to make sure that you apply the business principles that a lot of businesses that are not definitely the biggest businesses out there apply to successfully run their business every day. And you have to really be organized and make sure you have the HR function, the operations function, the financial function. And these things may seem more, you, it may intimidate people listening to this, say, gosh, you know, one, one store, you want me to have an HR person? No, you don't need an HR person, but you need an HR function. Right. What does that really mean? That means there's a procedure. If an employee wants to talk about a situation that a dilemma. There's a procedure to go about and talking to that employee. Because if you fix your problems like professionally, people like to go work at places where there's a laid path, a predetermined path that they can follow. And they really like to know more than the money they're making is what's in this for me. And you have to address that. Okay. So it's important that every business takes it very seriously. And the people who think that they can't run it like a big business, they can't run those functions, they'll probably won't be growing as much as the people who do. Where, so if talk to somebody who only has one location, where do they go to get that kind of information, to, to run it like a legitimate business, the, the same you know, systems or, or smart business practices that other companies who have multiple locations, uh, where does somebody go to get that information? Well, there's two ways of going about it, and you need to follow these steps chronologically. The first step is getting to know your own business. Are you an expert in doing what you do? Do you do it the best? Do you do it like the best and add 10 more? Can you beat everybody to it? If there's a people, 100 people... What do you mean, can you do it and add 10 more? Meaning, can you add 10% of more of what you see out there. Try to do it perfect. Do something that no one's ever done. Be creative and become the radical. Not, not necessarily a negative radical, a positive radical. My brother's a software engineer. You would think it has nothing to do with Subway. Well, no, we write software. We write software for our business. When we were running three stores, we were writing software to do some of the things that we were counting on a calculator. Mm-hmm. So this is called being a radical. I heard some, a speaker recently say, you know, be, become the Mick Jagger of making sandwiches. <laughs> you know, become the, the Mick Jagger of cutting hair. You know? Exactly. I mean, yeah. You, you got it. And, and, and that's what people lack. Sometimes uh, they're not experts in their businesses. And don't make this an investment. If the business that you want to make very big is just a simple simple investment for you, it's probably not going to go anywhere. You need to be part of it on a daily basis. You need to be in it yourself. Don't hire a manager on the first one. Get to know the ropes. There are restaurants that we owned in 1994 and 95 that I can close my eyes when I walk in those restaurants today and you know exactly where the dirt falls more. And I can point at that. And I can sometimes tell people on the phone, you know, behind that oven, take a look. There's that plug. You just need to press that button and it'll trip the, the fuse again. And they say, 
oh my God, how did you know that? Right. This is what I mean. Become an expert. Because you lived there. You, exactly. You knew every square inch of that. Exactly. Right. And the second step I said, once you become an expert in the business, look around. Google it. If that's the best and the cheapest thing. By the way, this is not being sponsored by Google, but I'm right. just telling you. Facebook it. Tweet it. Ask your friends. Go to the closest friend who's just as successful or more successful. than. Always look at people who are more successful. Don't look at them with envy. Look at them as people who you can learn from. Go to them and, and probe it. And you know what? My brother and I used to park our cars outside of McDonald's restaurant, which was in the same parking lot as our subway. And we used to say, why there are 4,000 people coming here and we only get 800? What are these guys doing differently? And it's about understanding. And did I have to go to an expertise or hire somebody, a consultant for $25,000 to do that? No. This is very basic. That's why, remember, first I said, once you become an expert in your business, then you become the biggest teacher of that business. And by doing that, you're what going... to be the biggest teacher? Meaning that you become so good that you can actually teach what you do. Oh, Okay, and then at that time, you start researching things, and there is so much information out there when people can go get it. You don't need an expertise, and the biggest resource in a franchise business is a franchisor. A lot of people, and I, I came across a lot of people over the last 15 years where people said, oh my God, the franchisor is not doing this right, that right. There's people who wanted to sue the company. They actually, some people did sue the company. And I didn't put my head into any of this. Now, you can call me a kiss ass for doing that, okay? If anybody out there wants to do what I do and have what I can have, that's fine. You can call me that, right. okay? It's important that you you bought into a brand. It was your choice. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to be part of it. So when you did that, you also made some promises. Mm-hmm. And trying to overrule those things and becoming someone who does not going to follow the rules is not going to work in favor of you. No one's going to want that. Mm-hmm. No company. Most successful, least successful, nobody wants a problem. So one thing that we did not do, we didn't challenge the franchisor very much. We understand that there is a hierarchy and we need to respect that. But within our own business, there was so much that we could use our creativity on. Who says that in the franchise business you can't use creativity? You come to my business, you're going to see the ways of doing things. And we get the same results at the end of the day, but the way our procedures are, the way we do things, it's quite different for an average subway franchise. Give, give me an example of that. So like obviously the franchisor, mm-hmm. the company Subway has their guidelines. This is how you do things. This mm-hmm. is what your menu looks like. This is your dress code or whatever those guidelines are. What are the parameters that you're able to uh, cross to be creative within that? Do you have a specific example? So I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, it's a very general one actually. Treat your customers, give them the best customer service. That's code, probably code in 80% of the books out there. They're ops manuals. Oh, it better be, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, you can take that and say, go to all your employees and say, hey, guys, I want everybody to smile when the customer comes in. And everyone say, welcome. And everyone say, thank you. So you make this like an assembly line operation, okay? You're probably not going to get great results out of it. Or you could be creative. You can go back and speak to all these employees and see what matters to these people. Talk to them about their personal lives. Stay within the legal boundaries and get to know them a little bit more. You know, establish an employee fund to loan them money when they need help and help a couple people out, out there and really connect with your employees in different ways of doing it. Now, you can read some management books. You can do it on the job. I do it at the job. Okay. And you really connect with the people. Then you make what you tell them 
become so much more effective because all of a sudden they have connected at a level that no one else has. Hey, you're my employee. Yeah, you pay me for what I do, but you also care about me. So when I'm not there, which I'm not at 99% of the times I'm not, my employees should be doing by heart, with passion, the things that I want them to do. That is called creativity. Now, you, I didn't give you specifics on what other tactics you want, because you, well, you could use 100 tactics. When, and only people who run their businesses know what matters to their employees. Time and time again, I walk into businesses where the owners of the businesses make this all about themselves. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. If I don't make money here, you're fired. Right, smile because I said for you to smile. If you don't smile, you're going to get fired. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, We'll give you the biggest smile right now, but wait till you're gone, (laughs) okay? So, you know, people wonder, why can't, and and you know what the most common thing I also hear from people is, how do you find great employees? I can't find them. I don't understand when people say that when about 12% of America is unemployed. Okay, because people are thinking, you know, okay, how do you motivate somebody? Because m- most people's small-mindedness thinking is it's money is the only motivator. Yeah. And so if they're only getting paid minimum wage or $10 an hour, there's no way to motivate them because that's not enough to get somebody excited about work. And you're saying absolutely not. Yeah. And let me tell you something. When you tell someone a joke and they laugh and they smile and they give you energy back, did you pay that person? No. You did not. No. So what makes people happy? Money. When you're watching television, is someone paying you? Mm. When you get entertained, is someone paying you? No. And that is the part people need to remember. What you pay employees is simply a function that you are exchanging money in for on behalf of the service that they're providing mm. and for being there on behalf of you. Okay. What you do outside of that is a different psychology. It's a whole different science. And often people, oftentimes people miss the latter. And they keep questioning the money side of things. And sometimes somebody gives someone a very big raise, and, but they treat them like crap, and then they wonder why the person doesn't perform. Right. So what's wrong with yeah, all I'm that? I'm paying you. Yeah. Why can't you love it here? Why can't you? You're, exactly. You're paid enough. Yeah. Exactly. So then you'll still have a disgruntled employee who's getting paid a lot more. Right. Okay. <laughs> So it's important that people connect with people and understand that there's other science to it than just money. So money is one currency. Yes. But other currencies are love, mm-hmm. being cared about, yep. make, making them laugh, yep. being a good role model. Those are all currencies. And you know, a lot of people, maybe their credit card's maxed out, but really is your appreciation maxed out too? You're, you're, you've run dry in your generosity of acknowledging and thanking your people. You know, That's maxed out too? I think you hit the nail on the head. When mm-hmm. times like today... What matters to people? Everyone knows everyone's broke. Right. <laughs> okay. But does that mean that no one's smiling out there? Does that mean that people aren't having a good time? No. There's ways to have get happiness. And then you you absolutely said it the right way. That is exactly how people need to go about it. Well, again, with 120 locations, you're not in your buildings. No. As, you know, you're, they see you and then you're gone. I, I heard it once said that a good manager is judged on how things run when you're not there. Right. Of course they're going to smile when you're standing right there. Of course they're going to mm-hmm. answer the phone the way you want them to answer the phone if you're breathing down their neck, but you leave the building, are they still dressing the same? Are they still treating the customer the same way that you want them to? Right. Well, you know, I, if this is a, it speaks for itself, uh, a, a typical uh, restaurant, fast food restaurant, has a turnover rate of about three to 400% which means that you turn over your entire workforce four to five times a year. 
Well, in our restaurants, um, some of our better restaurants lose maybe one employee in the whole year. You're kidding. Uh, no. And, um, you know, I I just looked at uh, numbers last week, and we had 21 restaurants in Los Angeles. And the 21 restaurants in Los Angeles got quite a few employees, and we only hired about 25 more. And that means that we must have only let go of about 20 because business was better than the year before. So that is as is unheard of in the restaurant business. So clearly, and I, I, I'm no perfectionist by any means. I, I wake up every morning and my brother and I talk about all the things we can do to better our business and we never really fall asleep on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but those are things that we, uh, we feel very proud of. And mm-hmm. we actually make our employees know about that because they feel rewarded and they feel they want to be there. You know, mm-hmm. It's easy to get a job at minimum wage when. And you just have to go look at 10 places. I'm sure you'll get a call from four. Right. Um, so you can get the job, minimum wage job at the end of the day. So why is it our people are not doing that? There must be something there. They want to stay there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think if all business owners out there put a goal in there, or all leaders for that sake, if you're in a management position or if you own a business, it's very important that you find ways to teach something new to your people every year. And I'll tell you, one of the things that my brother and I sit down every December is, okay, what is it that one thing we can give to our people that they can personally benefit from? Not necessarily just at the job. So, hey, uh, three years ago, we realized that a lot of our managers who, who were more of floor managers did not really understand Microsoft Outlook. You know, how do you use Microsoft PowerPoint or Outlook or things of that nature. So we say, you know, why don't we teach people how to do that? Wait, is that part of, do they need to know that for their job? They do not. Oh, so okay. this was... This was like above and beyond. This is not like on-the-job training. No. Had no. Oh, wow. This was not a requirement. But we say, you know what? It's very powerful to be able to communicate on your messages to your employees. And if you've taught people how to use PowerPoint or taught them how to use Outlook, then they'll possibly start making use of it and they can always take it with them anywhere they go. Right. And we did that. That's one example. I mean, you know, we've got variety of other things. I mean, we're pretty biased on the technology side, so we teach more technology to people than most employers would. But our employees feel like, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm really learning something above and beyond than what the job calls for. And there's something that I'm going to learn here that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my so life. I really love that. So, yeah. yeah, I get a paycheck from Subway. Yeah, it's minimum wage, but how else they're compensating me is they're providing, they're the resource for me to learn and grow in these other areas too. I've known, you know, companies that bring in marriage therapists, you know, to teach their staff, you know, hey, if, if you can leave work and go home and have a better marriage, you're going to be happier at work tomorrow. I that's, that's, this, that's, that's a great this idea. wonderful woman who says that she doesn't provide dental insurance, but she provides therapy insurance or whatever. So she's like, you know, your bad tooth is not going to affect me and my employees and my work environment, but your bad attitude is. <laughs> and so I will pay to have you go to a therapist. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I, I won't cool. pay to fix your tooth, but. <laughs> that does it sound very funny. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know what? Most business owners or leaders listening to this, they have knowledge because to become a business owner, you're, you're, you're not lazy. You have knowledge. You have awareness. You have education. And to impart that. Yes. For your people, you know, what's the best, I'll ask business owners, you know, tell me the, the, the most exciting business book, you know, motivational book that you read in the last year. Oh my gosh, it was this book and I learned this. Oh my, great. Did you share that book with your people? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Something that got you so excited, you were animated sharing with me what this book taught you and mm-hmm. yet you withheld that information from your people. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny as we talk when we're both so excited about saying what we're saying and that is a testimonial that if you really know what you're doing, 
and you are really passionate about it, when people talk about something like that, you really grab the ideas and you try to implement them much faster than an average person. A lot of people sometimes get closed-minded. Uh, in my own business, they'll say, oh, no, no, there's only one way of doing things and this is it. And your new idea, it's not going to work. Uh, and I've heard that. It's, I've heard it's not going to work. Uh, I probably hear that more than anything else out there. And, you know, when you try something new, the majority of the world is going to, to, to refuse that because it's not, a, it's not a proven methodology. It's not something that has been, that's proven itself. And you know who those people are? They're the followers. Okay. The leaders will always, always come up with new things and always try new things. And yeah, sure, some will fail. That's okay. Well, it's a percentage game, isn't it? At the end of the day, if, if I can try 15 things but five of them work and they work better than anything else we knew before, I've done it. So never stop thinking it and get excited, you know, get, get that energy flowing in you, get your people excited, empower them, give them tools that are going to empower them. And if you find someone else using a, t- a method that is working for them, steal it, take it to your business. How important you say, you know, get excited. How, how, because I agree with that, but send out a stronger message about that. I heard a, somebody say, you know, that you should always be the most positive person in, in a room. Yes. And it's very important, especially in a leadership role. If you're in a management role, leadership role, if you're franchisee, or if you have anybody who works under you and calls you a supervisor or a manager, it is very important that you have one characteristic, and that is how do you empower people, okay? Are you going to be the guy who's going to walk in the room and bring the energy level down, or are you going to be the guy who's going to walk in, and all of a sudden, you take everybody's blood pressure units by five, and if there's 10 people, you've raised the blood pressure of the room by 50 units. That's what I want to do. I want to make sure that when people walk out of my meetings, they cannot wait to start running. It's like you were on a treadmill, mm-hmm. and, and they should not be bogged down. So, Make sure your meetings are empowering. Now, you are going to have those meetings when you have to call people in when things are not going so good. And it's very important to make sure your people understand when things are not good, the meeting isn't going to be the same. And it's important to distinguish the two styles because when the other style is used, it then produces results and reverses problems. So how how do you distinguish that? You you just say... Come to the meeting and bring a box of Kleenex. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, we have our ways of getting the messages out. Uh, And let me tell you something. We're never rude. We never say, if you don't do this, you're fired. Mm. And I have never used that in any of those meetings. It's fear-based. It's, you know, oh my gosh. When does fear ever work for anybody? It does not. It does not. It's a matter of really understanding people and explaining to them, connecting with them, saying, look, this is extremely important to us. And, and, you know, everybody has their own style of doing things. And if you continue to have people who are dissatisfied with their responses, then you may have to change your style. If you think you got the right people working for you, how, how would somebody find that out? You know, how would somebody? Uh, know, I, 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 I challenge people. You know, you just ask your employees. Say, you know, this is. Be honest with me. You know, how am I doing, and how can I do better? When I'm going to give you a, a very small trick to to learn. Because a lot of bad leaders don't know that they're bad. Yes, they don't know that. You know, when they walk in the room, like you say, I, I say you brighten up a room by leaving. <laughs> if you have to continue to give people raises. To do the task that you ask him to do, you probably are a bad leader. Really? Okay. Now, I'm not saying don't give people raises, but if you have to use money to get people to do more things. Now, salaries and raises are important to people because it's a measure of success. But if I have to tell you that, hey, can you do this for me and I'll give you more? That's probably a wrong way of going about it. 
Right? Okay. The way to go about it is, hey, let's do this. Let's make sure we connect. We make understand what you need to do. And then from there, you get the other person so excited that they actually start doing it very well without even getting any money. Now, then you reward them. You definitely reward people with financial gains. It's very, very, very important. I can't stress enough on it. But the other way to look at it, and you don't have to talk to anybody, look at your turnover. Look how many people left you over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. How many people came to you and said, you know, I don't like this, what I'm doing. Okay. And I always tell people, there's two reasons why you have a turnover. One, you made a mistake in the interviewing process. And number two, you made a mistake in the training process. Mm-hmm. So the end result is that you made a mistake. And how many leaders, especially, okay, we'll talk about your world, mm-hmm. in the subway world, how many leaders, franchisee owners want to hear that? No, most people will get more <laughs> peace when you tell them there's not anybody out there who can work in the best restaurant business. Right. It puts you to sleep. It doesn't create a problem in your own head. But understand, anytime a person is gone from your organization, it's a process issue. Yeah, you say, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's your fault. Yes. It's your fault. Well, you, you hired wrong, you, well, you interviewed trained wrong. wrong, or you trained wrong. Absolutely. Right. You know, why did this bad person get to come in your organization. Because you hear that a lot in our industry that you know the salon down the street stole them. Well, I'm like, no, they left you. And you know, it's funny they you say that. They left you for a reason. <laughs> well, you might want to find out what was the truth in that. You know, because there's a whole bunch of things, well, they were idiots anyway. I'm glad they're gone. Well, that might be true. But what else is true here? What could you have done differently? You know what? It's, it's so true what you just said, Wynn, because I have taken my people to large meetings and they have been followed into the restroom with business cards. Right. And uh, my people come back to me and laugh at me. say, oh, this person just gave me a business card. They want me to come work for that. And I would ask them, oh, why don't you? And it's, they, they, they'd usually laugh back and we move on and go on with our business. And, uh, you know, if, put it this way. If an employee is being stolen by another business that is like your business, I also think it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Because, one, you made a mistake in the hiring process. And two, you made a mistake in the training process. Yeah, I love all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Why would somebody leave you? Right. Because what you give them and what they give you is not equal. Right. Okay? It's very important. Why does an employee ever leave you or you terminate them? Because what the service that they provide and your expectations are not equal. Usually one's larger than the other. That's why it leads to a termination or a resignation. Got it. So, I mean, you, you're you a master so of all this yourself. Your, your expectations of them, and they didn't deliver on their performance, or as the boss, their expectations of what this job could really be like. Exactly. And it's important. Yeah, it fell short. It's important to calibrate that because that imbalance could occur in some of the best relationships out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to connect with people. It's important to meet with them every quarter, talk to them, and exchange dialogue so that you can calibrate that balance mm-hmm. so you don't ever get to a point where it leads to a more drastic situation like what I just explained. How do you duplicate yourself? So cool that you and your family have these belief systems and you care about people and and you're the one is making them laugh and you you know, connect with them in the way that you're so good at connecting with them. Yeah, you got great energy and, and that's important. How do you now duplicate yourself and train your managers who are with those people all day, every day to duplicate that as well? It's a process of cloning. And it's, there's no science in this. It's all psychology. It's important that you clone yourself. What, what I really mean by that, when is that you hire these management people who are supposed to deliver your message to the people who work for them. How much time you spend with them? 
do they really believe in what you're doing or are they coming in for a paycheck? Everything that we've said so far applies to all of it. If you create people under you who are going to play management roles and they understand the science of your business, they understand why, they understand beyond the money, they understand your business principles and they buy into it. And number one thing, they're just as passionate as you are. And if they have the same amount of passion as you do, they're going to have the same effect on the organization. And it's very important, extremely important that people who hire management to do their job codes, they empower them. They don't supersede them. They don't make it known to the employee who works for them, hey, you can always come to me and bypass the manager because those situations can make workplaces very complicated. So you're trying to discover that even in the interview process, is this a clone of me? Does this person have passion? Do they have energy? Do they love what they do? Yep. What we call is uh, we got to put mileage on the person. Now, in the, in the interview process, we say, okay, most of the times when our management is promoted from within because we want mileage on the person in our business. Meaning, we want to make Well, you've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's like, it's like a, a, a two-year interview. Right. So, they've, they've, they, yeah, they've done a good job for you. They're ethical. They like what they're doing. They're, they're committed to spend more time in your company. And when you promote them, they are going to likely stay with you for a longer time. We are not fond of hiring people who like to switch jobs. I don't think any employer is. But once in a while, you come across a person who's been switching jobs for the last 10 years. And, okay, this is the fifth place they're going to stop. Right. And what most people don't realize, this is another stop. Right. So, again, no offense to any of you who, who have been switching jobs in the last few years, and maybe this was not in your hands, but employers are not used to or they don't like uh, people who switch a lot of jobs. Right. And we clearly don't have anybody in our company who has switched five jobs in the last 10 years. As a matter of fact, most of our management mm. is uh, 10 years or plus. I seem to have a lot of questions about how you take care of your people and empower them, which is the word that you're using. There's a great book called The Customer Comes Second, mm-hmm. which means who comes first? Your people, yeah. 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 And you also mentioned that people are always thinking, what's, what's in this for me? And they're not thinking about the paycheck. The paycheck, yes, I have to pay my bills, and so I'm, every job is going to give me a paycheck. But up and beyond that, they're saying, what's in this for me? How do you discover that from your people? How do you find out? Because you can walk in and dictate what's important to you, but they don't really care what's important to you unless they know that you care what's important to them. How do you discover that? It's a matter of getting to know. First of all, the first thing you need to do is uh, get to know your upper management. Make sure that you understand their needs in life. And I'm not talking about, hey, what kind of car they want to drive. It's what satisfies them, what makes them happy, what brings them to their work excited every day. Give us an example. What, what would it be? Something, let's say that if I allow this person to have a new computer, you know, this person will be so much happier if, because I gave him a bigger monitor or a keyboard. You know, we do so many of these things. When uh, I spend a lot of money on a daily basis in, in our business that we don't have to. We, we, last week, I didn't have to buy two large monitors for one of my employees. Well, I see the man has been working very hard for us, and he's an older gentleman, and by giving him that, it's going to make his work life a little better. So I'm going to give that to him. Mm-hmm. I could be the guy who says, well, no, everybody gets one that monitor and you, you deal with it. Okay. Right. So those small things, small little things, you know, making sure that you people acknowledge people for doing their good job. Mm-hmm. You'll see most people know what matters to their people. They just don't do anything about it. <laughs> and that's a big default at workplaces. In my organization, we call it Create Magic. Mm-hmm. You know, so every day we're looking for opportunities to create magic. Yep. And so I, you know, my assistant texts me every day, you know, whose birthday it is that day. So I'm on the phone every single day because <laughs> every, you know, there's 
thousands of people in my organization and I'm trying to make as many of those phone calls as possible. And I've had people say to me, my mom didn't even remember it was my birthday today. So, How would you remember? So, Well, that's something yeah. I'm going to learn from you because I certainly haven't been practicing that. Well, uh, no, it's easy today. You know, you just sign everybody up and it sends you a, you know, I mean, it's so easy to do that, you know, you know but, you know, and, and then uh, another guy was telling me that he looks for what he calls, I think he calls them like magic moments or whatever, mm-hmm. which basically is a crisis in an employee's life. Mm-hmm. And when there's a crisis, i.e. a death in the family, a sick child, can't for whatever reason the car broke down can't get the car to him that's a magic moment it's like oh my gosh i can be the person to step in you're absolutely right and 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 that will make that employee more loyal than they've ever been before and in our business you were there when i went through that horrific experience in my personal life and that is absolutely absolutely a must in organizations where organizations that are people hungry and performance hungry you're right especially in our business when you're paying someone when somebody's paycheck is you know four hundred dollars every two weeks or you know even a thousand dollars every two weeks how do you get these people they're not going to have big checking accounts they're not going to have big savings accounts so when they you are it for them so it's important you know that exact thing you just said magic moments you need to make use of those magic moments as an employer and it's not like you're trying to manipulate people no just make just help them out and don't expect anything in return for that. You will get the returns naturally. I want to switch gears here a little bit. You have what you call Subway University. What's that about? Uh, we have a, a system called University of Subway, and that is uh, twofold. One is uh, the electronic e-learning system where every employee can uh, go online and learn uh, how to do different functions in, in a subway store. And there are things such as even, uh, you know, learning English. A lot of people who may struggle with speaking English, you don't have to write essays at work, but you should be able to communicate effectively with your customers. So we have things like that for personal improvement as well as professional improvement. And then we also have uh, in-person training that we may utilize quite a bit. As much as e-learning is out there today and all the technology and everything that we talked about, you know, smartphones and automatic notifications and things of that nature, it cannot take place of human touch. And you need to make sure you still keep that vital part of your training process. And how do you do that? Because you're right, with technology, which is wonderful and it simplifies our lives, but you know, you can do business with the company and never talk to a live human being. You're absolutely right. And the retention rate, and if you look at all the research that's out there, the retention rate of somebody learning from technology versus somebody learning from a person who can, not a boring professor, I'm talking about somebody who engages with you. And, and you need to make sure that your classes, your training is not traffic school. Right. Uh, you know, we all been to those tattered traffic <laughs> right, schools. Right, right. Yeah. If they even try to make those better, by it's, it's a <laughs> the funny a ones. Exactly. That's right. I, I'm, I'm yet to laugh at somebody making a stop sign stop. Right. Okay, I don't yeah. know how you could make. Well, I guess there's creativity out there. Right, right. But what I really mean by that is, it's important that people understand that you know people are not robots out there. Mm-hmm. People have feelings. People want to listen to it. You know, you gotta you gotta engage with them, and it's it's important that you don't take place of you know human interaction. So some of the training can come through e-learning, but you identified what is not through e-learning, and it has to be engaging and human touch. And absolutely, for, absolutely, so that's important too. I mean, in the beauty industry, you can't necessarily you know teach a haircut, you know, online. Well, I, guess, I don't know. Wait, no, I probably shouldn't have said that because there's a lot of people who are doing that. You know, <laughs> but. Um, We've had to identify that, you know, to save money on trainings, you know, 
to avoid having to buy a plane ticket and pay for a hotel and all that stuff, we've identified, okay, that training could now go to a web-based training. Yeah. And it, by this, no, we want them to jump on a plane. We want them to be with us. We want to hug them. We want to take them to dinner. We want to have the networking. We want to... But we've identified, so we've absolutely had to figure that out to save money, but at the same time keep the human touch. No, and you, it's very important that organizations make use of both of those because uh, you don't want to just limit human training and then be uh, you know victim of uh, low budgets. It's very important that you have a good mixture of the both. So how important is training? You, you've said it a thousand times. So obviously training is huge in your organization. And no offense, but some people listening to this and saying, really, how much training does it take to make a sandwich you know but but i also heard somebody say train your people or die yes well you know it's uh it, it, training is a communication of what i expect from you and how do i want you to do the job and in return you get a paycheck and if you don't do that if you're not doing training it could be me making straws one good thing oh my god what's so creative about making straws but but there are still companies out there that are making better straws than others, and they're more successful. So, you know, it's a really a business strategy. It's a business process, and you really need to uh, make sure that, you know, even as simple as you think things may be, you still need to do a good job in communicating the message to the employees. Just out of curiosity, I'm taking you back because you said that you and your brother would sit outside the McDonald's and see 4,000 customers compared to only 800 in your location. What were some of the things that you were learning and discovering? Because... You know, I mean, I think that's great. I think, you know, people should go tour Nordstrom's. I used to, I think I've given this example on these interviews before. I would tell people to, you know, take your people to the Nordstrom's to go look at the restrooms. Is the mop stored in the bathroom at Nordstrom's? No, it's not. It's a religious experience to mm -hmm. walk into the restroom at Nordstrom's. Well, then why is, you know, your salon restroom the dumping place where everybody, you know, just kind of everything, nobody even notices it. And by the end of the day, it's horrific back there. But, you know, it's very easy to say, well, gosh, I'm doing everything impossible within the code book, and why am I not being successful? We went to McDonald's restaurants because we wanted to see, hey, what is it, what is it going to take? And we quickly realized their standard operating procedures, how they handled their customers or their food, it was just so much more sophisticated than ours. I'm going to step away from the people business for a minute. When somebody goes to a McDonald's, what are they expecting? Of course, they expect to smile and great service. But more so than that, they also are expecting a McDonald's food. Okay, When you go to Nordstrom's, what are you expecting? You're expecting service and you're expecting quality. Okay, But can you do one and not the other? No. When we went to McDonald's, we wanted to see how were they doing their standard operating procedures? How were they serving their food? How clean their restrooms were? How their dining lobbies were clean? And how people reacted, employees and customers. And we learned from that. There's so many businesses out there when outside of your business, any business in America that are doing a better job in something that you do. And it's important to identify that. You can shut your windows and your doors every day and you say, no, I'm doing everything the best way possible. And, and, and somebody like myself can wake up every morning and say, oh, my God, how can you tell me how to run my business? But I see it time and time again, somebody new comes in and we look at that and we said, really? We never thought of that. Mm -hmm. So it's important to stay ventilated. So it's important to go to your McDonald's equivalent of your business and park your car outside and be their customer. And yes, you're going to spy on it. It's okay. It's the game we play in business. Yeah. It's important to understand their commercials. It's important to identify a competition legitimately as a legitimate threat. It's very important to understand their strengths. Most people would love to say, oh, no, they're, they're, I'm not worried about it. You know, nothing's going to happen. 
And those are the guys who get surprised 6 a.m. in the morning. Right. Yeah. What do they say? If you steal from more than one source, it's called research. <laughs> That's right. So do, do, do a lot of research. Find out who's doing it the right way and who's doing something different and steal it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, You're nothing absolutely wrong right. with that. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that you see small businesses are making? I know a lot of it you've, you've kind of already addressed. If there's something more that you would add to that. Yeah, small businesses... Uh, there are those that are franchised and there are those that are not franchised. I'm going to speak more on the franchise side because I'm a little bit more familiar. If you're part of a brand, the biggest mistake people make in a branded business is they debrand themselves. Uh, what I really mean by that is they deviate from the expected product or service so much that the customers don't see the same value that they would see in a similar unit somewhere else. So then they, people wonder, why are the sales of one Play unit so much better than the other. And the biggest mistake I've seen people making in our own business, it's within the subway business, I'll see somebody not paying attention to how the bread's being baked, or somebody's not putting the proper vegetables, or not making sure that the onions that are going on the sandwich are crisp. You know, they're, And again, I can go on and on about my business, but it's very important that you look at all of those things that are key to making you successful. And you may not even identify those as keys, but take people's word for that. Because it's been done somewhere else, and it's been done somewhere else right. And it's important to understand your weaknesses, and it's important to work on those on a daily basis. Hmm. So how I came about knowing who you are is one of my colleagues attended a, a convention. It was a franchise convention in Las Vegas, so it wasn't a subway convention. It was like all kinds of different businesses and companies and industries were there at this convention, and you were speaking at that, correct? Yes, I was on a panel, yes. Okay, so what would you speak about? Well, I was on a panel. Because you're not in front of fast food vendors or, or franchises only. You know, it's it's across the board, correct? Right, right. Uh, we were speaking about the challenges that people face in multi-unit organizations, meaning those who have more than one uh, restaurant or a unit, it doesn't have to be a restaurant. It's if it's part of a franchise. How do well, you? I think every, anybody listening to this, if, if they have one successful salon, they're thinking about, I'm going to be a chain. I'm <laughs> going to have two, right? You know, yeah. so people are thinking about multiple locations, right? You know, and it's funny you say that because the only time you're ever going to double your business is when you go from one to two. Because right. then you go from two to three and three to four and four to five. Right. So okay. You're so doubling. you're not doubling. You're so, only doing it the so, first time. so the biggest jump is, is one, one to two. two. Really? Okay. Because you're right. That's the only time you're ever going to double your business. You're never going to go from hundred to two hundred. You're probably going to go maybe hundred to hundred and ten, possibly. Got it. So it takes the most effort when you double your business. It's very simple. You know, it's like going to someone and saying, "Hey, how do I double my business?" And somebody could say, gosh, this guy's talking about $50 million going to $100 million. No, we're talking about $500 to $1,000 and $1,000 to $2,000, possibly two to $4,000. Right. Okay? So I was a part of a panel that uh, pretty much we were talking about common issues that we may be facing in the business, generally speaking, business in America, and some things that business owners need to be watching out for. And I probably have pretty good experience in all kinds of problems that one could come across <laughs> sure in business. Yeah. So probably if a person has one business, you know, mm-hmm. so you're the entrepreneur, you you know, you started this and you have one location, probably a lot of the success of that one location is dependent upon that person. Absolutely. Because they're there every day and so they're part of that culture, they're part of greeting the customer. Well, now all of a sudden you're you're gone. You're out of there. Why? Because you have another location. Right. So what's the advice that you have? How, 
Yep. I know you were talking earlier about cloning yourself mm-hmm. and the tr- and hiring right and training right and all that stuff. And yeah, it's important that people make their business not about themselves. So when you are missing, your business doesn't shut down. Let me give you an example. A good example would be if my customers come in and they go to Subway, and I make this so much about myself every day that they think, oh, this is Ragu's restaurant. So the minute I tell them that avocado is going to be extra today, they're thinking of my bank account, not Subway's standard operating procedure, okay, just because I said it. So being in your business every day sometimes could work against you because customers will translate what you say as your personal gain, and you might be communicating a standard operating procedure. Now, being in your business every day could also enhance your business very well, and I've seen this happen the right way as well. Getting to know your customers, getting to know your employees personally. When you come in, when the customer comes in and says, hey, Raghu, how you doing? How was your New Year's? You know, how, what did you do? This is a personal relationship management at the restaurant level or unit level with one unit. You're not going to be able to do that when you have two, three, four, five, six, or ten. So how do, you, how do you maintain that? A lot of people will go from one to two and not put their replacement in. They say, oh, I'm just going to run half a day over here and half a day over there. That's the biggest mistake you're going to make because what you're going to do is you're going to distribute your one-unit effort into two, and you're going to expect two-unit return. It's not going to happen. You need to invest into somebody like yourself who is going to take your place for the same number of hours. And then there are those who have separation anxiety. And they usually uh, can come out of it, but the, there are some advanced cases that end up downsizing again. Let me elaborate that a little bit. You become so attached to one business every day that you think that things are going to fall apart because you're not there. Mm-hmm. You become so self-dependent on you running the business, you actually lose faith in people in that situation. And and I call it the advanced level sometimes because what happens when people go from one to two, they're working 80, 85 hours a week. They can't spend time with their kids or their family or their friends. And all of a sudden, life becomes really miserable. And you might be making more money, but usually you're not also. Because if you're making good money, then you'd get a good manager. But people try to do this themselves without investing into the resources. You know, it's very important. When you get into the second business, you spend all the money to equip the business. You never take the furniture of one business and divide it into two. You never take the cash register of one business and make that two. You buy another one. You buy another chair. You buy another couch. You buy another salon equipment, set of equipment. So why are you going to do that with human resources? Oh, interesting. So don't divide yourself and hire the right people and duplicate yourself. You know, there's part of our culture we are always asking people who's your replacement who's your replacement and i remember the story of somebody saying you know hey you know you want to advance you know who could do your job oh nobody could do my job i'm brilliant at this and I'm like, that's really sad because now you can't advance right i got to keep you there right and and to say that nobody can do my job i mean unless you're an astronaut and who's right. you know there's only six of them going to the moon every few years right. uh, there's always somebody there to do my job when there's someone there to do exactly what i do probably as good as I do, if not better. Right. And I identify that. And people need to understand that we didn't know this. We weren't born with this skill. We were taught this skill after the fact. And we need to start trusting others to do the same type of job. You've mentioned hierarchy from owners and managers and leaders, and but you mentioned hierarchy, obviously, in a way that's not <laughs> something you're a fan of. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I, I, I do... Oftentimes, when you see these 
cultures that don't work and it's and it's toxic and people are backbiting and, and stabbing each other. Again, I look at the owner and say it's your fault. Yeah, it really it's is your the fault you're, that you're, this exists. You're right on. If titles matter to people, then you probably have the wrong people. Hmm. Titles make people feel good, but that shouldn't be the only reason why somebody comes to work. Mm-hmm. I don't have a title win. I can call myself the president that makes me look, oh, this powerful guy. I like to be called myself as a subway manager. Mm-hmm. Because what do I really do every day? I manage subway stores. Mm-hmm. I tell you, no matter where I am at, I'm thinking about subway. <laughs> okay? So am I really the president? You know, am I really the big shot? And oftentimes we struggle with our own organization where we want to make sure people don't get stuck with their titles. The biggest issue people have with hierarchy, sometimes people get stuck with titles. You know, it's too much of, oh, you can't say this to me. I have to tell you this. And if you don't do this, then you're in trouble. Now, it's important to identify hierarchy because that's the flow of communication and you need to have communication flow. Now, but as owners, as managers, and as leaders, if you don't touch the very bottom of your organization, I don't want to say bottom because that sounds demeaning. If you don't touch the level that customer is exposed to you're making a big mistake so explain that more i know exactly what you're talking about but so i say myself okay gosh i wake up every morning and i can say i can go to my desk and email everybody and tell everyone to come to my office today at 4 p.m we're gonna have this big meeting and we're gonna talk about all the problems that we have in the company or i'm gonna say i'm gonna wear a subway shirt a black pair of shoes black pants i'm gonna get in my car i'm gonna drive to stores i'm gonna visit five stores and I'm just going to go be a regular employee today. And I do that probably five or six times a month, whether it be being a manager or employee, and staying in touch with the floor level, understanding the challenges people have at the very bottom. of the. And this is the level that is the most important because you're seeing hundreds of customers every day. You're not seeing customers. As the owner, you're not necessarily touching the customer. But they are. Yes, exactly. And most people forget that. Right. They forget the, the most important people in your organization are the people who see the customer. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is a service provider. Right. You can give you fancy titles. We can give you fancy perks. But at the end of the day, you are a service provider to your own people. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do a good enough job at that, you're going to have hierarchy issues. You know, I've, I've learned that recently from very successful business people that – you ask them, they say, no, my job is to serve my people. Mm-hmm. I'm not the boss. You know, Meaning leadership is about having a servant's heart. Right. And you're talking about it all through this interview, about what's, finding out what's important to your people and you know, getting in and talking to them and touching them and being involved with them and, and uh, motivating them, empowering them, teaching them things that have nothing to do with being a good employee at Subway, but it might be important to them. And I mean, you're, you're sending that message all through this whole interview. Yeah, well, that's the culture of our business, and I think that's the culture of most successful businesses where the management and the leadership of the company and the organization is engaged with the Mm -hmm. business every day. Mm -hmm. When we're not investors, Mm -hmm. we're not the guys who are sitting somewhere in a tall building and looking at the percentages, graphs, and things. Yeah, we look at numbers. It's very important to look at numbers. You need to keep an eye on it, otherwise you could be out of business. But we are in our business every day. Mm -hmm. You need to be part of your business. Don't be part of anything that you don't understand 100%. And do not invest your money in it. Why would you ever invest your money into something that you don't control 100%? See, that's always, I've always been that way. Like, I'm not a big investor in the stock market or whatever because I can't control that. I want to put my own money in something that I'm working every single day myself. You're absolutely right. 
that's the best decision you can make for yourself. When I interviewed, uh, I've told this story, I think, on a recent master CD, when I interviewed the president of Outback Steakhouse, he said, you know what? Although they have loyal customers all over the world, he says, we have never received a letter saying, I love Outback Steakhouse because of the president. <laughs> He's like, we've yet to receive that letter, <laughs> meaning his role isn't all that important. Who is important? Why are people loyal? It's because of those frontline people that you're talking about. It's the people you're, you're, who are touching the customers every single day. And a lot of bosses have zero connection to those people. Yep. They, have, they, have, they don't know who they are. They don't know what their needs are. They don't know what their challenges are. They don't, they, no connection to them. You know what? I, and you couldn't have said it better. And we joke about it in our organization. And we said, you know, if you walked into people ask me often, hey, what is so special in your Subway restaurants and everywhere else? Why are you more successful? I mean, you know what we tell them is when you walk into our restaurant, you see a good Subway store, you're going to get a good sandwich with a smile at a good price and a clean restaurant. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I challenge everybody who thinks that it's, they are the reason why, you know, people come into their doors to put their picture at whatever panel number one in their units and see how many people will still come. Somebody had that conversation with me a long time ago, like <laughs> a long time ago. You know, when you think you're the most important person in your organization, when in reality you're the least important, I'm like, no, you're wrong because it's my name at the bank. Yeah, and you'll see that too. Like when people walk into their own facilities and all of a sudden management sees, oh my gosh, who just walked in, they, all of a sudden the greeting is better and the smiles are better and they're running around and everything's running the perfect way. And guess what? You didn't even spend a nickel there. Yeah. So you and I tell people all all the time, hey, I'm gonna get a free sandwich here. I'm raising your food cost. That's right. the person you need to be least smiling at. Right. So don't do disservice to yourself. Smile at the people who matter. So uh, because you're not just running your own organization, you're trying to teach this to other people. How much of a resistance do you get on on this kinds of stuff? We I would say we get a, our fair amount of resistance. You know, and that's okay. Disagreements are good because that tells you that there's communication ventilation in the organization we allow people to disagree and it's important for them to understand what we're saying so it allows us the opportunity you know i mean from other business owners you know other business leaders they're like you know no you're wrong you you should not be putting on the subway uniform and going and working in your stores i've had some people tell me that oh gosh you guys micromanage too much and it's really not micromanage micromanage would be me you know really looking at people what they're doing right now i don't know any of them what they're doing right now. They all make their own calendars, our upper management people. But uh, a lot of people have said to us, oh, gosh, you guys are engaged too much. You, maybe you should let things be and, and, you know, just run it like a regular typical business does. And we don't really that's buy not, into it, you, you know. You. And we tell people that we give the, the whole example of Walmart, Kmart to people. They say, you know, if, if when Walmart had their first meeting and their people said to them, hey, let's do things the way Kmart does, right. they wouldn't have existed. Exactly. It's because Walmart had their ways of doing things, right. and that was their original way. And we have our original way. We have absolutely zero conflicts about the way we do things, and you can't talk me away from it. So talk about your health and your wellness uh, routine as part of the strategy that you have to have good energy and to be a good leader, And because I know that you're at the gym pretty much every single day. Yes, I work out probably about five to six days a week, about an hour every day. And uh, a lot of times, some of my best friends will call me and said, well, how do you get time to go to the gym and still run your business the way you are? And I will say simple, you know, you have to respect yourself when you and I both know that. You have to respect your body. Personal fitness, physical fitness, mental fitness is a must for one, self-confidence, and two, you will find that if you will carry yourself right, if you are 
looking like a leader. And I'm not talking so much about what you're wearing. I'm talking about you come across as someone who respects their own selves. They take care of themselves. They are fit and they are always full of energy. People will listen to you it's better. credibility. Absolutely. It's credibility. Absolutely. That was the word I was missing. It is huge credibility thing. And, and to me, that's part of my job too. And as a matter of fact, my brother and I go to the gym every day together most of the times. And, and, talking and we're talking business. Yeah, so you're getting a lot of work done <laughs> So it's there. probably hey. good corporate business oh, being I'm handled. Sure, I'm sure it is. You can write off that gym membership as part of a business uh, transaction. I'm not doing that yet, right. but that's okay. a good idea. Yeah. Huh. No, I, I believe in that 100%. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that most people in my organization, almost the majority of the leadership in my organization are non-smokers. That's awesome. And that didn't start off that way, you know. In fact, I remember you talk about things that you did 10 years ago, like what the heck were we thinking? Where there was like a smoking break in my trainings. I was like, what yeah. the heck was I doing? And all of a sudden it occurred to me, make these trainings non-smoking events. And why that's, did that's I do a, that before? <laughs> you know, because it because it, it bugged me every single time I go on the break to call people in and I see twenty people out there. I'm like, Ugh. why <laughs> no, are they doing that? Well, because I didn't tell them they couldn't. No, <laughs> so. that's a, that's a great idea, and 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 I'm a big believer of that, and mm. I know you are as well, Win. And I think that all leaders should definitely take the opportunity. It's not so much about your physical appearance; it's a lot of mental. That you know, it allows you to exhale your your all the stress that you have in your brain every day, and you're ready to face the world again the next day. And it, it just is a beautiful thing. I'm 52 years old, and I've figured out some stuff. You know, and I'm a, you know, I have a healthy marriage. I'm monogamous. I'm drug free. I'm healthy. I don't smoke. I, you know, so and those are things that I want my people to emulate as well. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm proud that I've become that type of a person, and, and I want my people to be a better person, too. I want them to have the same relationship with their mom and dad that I have with my mom and dad. You're right. You know, I want them to have the same passion for raising money and giving back to their local communities that I have. I didn't used to be, you know, those things, but I, I've become a better person, and I want to pass that on to them, too. I think you said it right, and, and even looking at you, I think it's it's important for every leader to be a role model in every aspect of your life. And again, it goes back to what you just said two minutes ago, credibility. Mm. Your credibility percentage is so much higher mm. when you do all of those things outside of your work. And it's a beautiful thing because you just get the desired results. Do you realize we've been talking for well over an hour now already? Oh, I didn't know that, no. Yeah. <laughs> Raghu, do you have a final message for our listeners? The final message only would be that I, I think that it's very important for every business owner, every leader, every person who has other people re- reporting to them to keep their people in mind at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, and so much, uh, if you're seeing customers every day, certainly that's the number one, just like you said. But in a lot of roles that we have today in management roles and people who are in higher up in the hierarchy that we talked about, they don't take the people who work for them in consideration on making decisions every day. And it's important that you make what you want people to do extremely clear. And the last thing is just have a lot of passion. If you have passion, people read it. People get intrigued by your energy level. Just like we've been talking for the last hour. We didn't know that we were talking about it for the last hour. I don't even know how long it's been over the hour. But one thing that we didn't do is bore each other because we're so engaged. We're exchanging energy. The retention rate of this session is so much higher between the two of us versus sitting in a classroom or a traffic school, like I said earlier. (laughs) So passion is it. Mm. And you'll go different places Mm. if you have passion. Thanks, Wynn. Brilliant.
thank you so much. This was exactly how I knew it was going to be. You know, everything happens for a reason. And when I, when I met you, I'm like, I'm going to get him on an interview. So thanks for doing this. Thanks, Wayne. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure.